Hello, this is William. And hello, this is Jake, and it's time to tune into the world. So today, we are going to do our first first post-election podcast, uh, and America will have a new president, and it will not be Hillary Clinton. Uh, In a surprise, you know, really a shocking result, uh, Donald Trump defeated Hillary Clinton and will become the United States' 45th president. Uh, So, Will, what was your first reaction to this news? Well, no, I know I have said all along, I think, I I do believe in in the last podcast, I did say that that Trump had a chance to do it, that the polls were tight, and I I did discount him, and I said it was sort of 50-50, but I did not expect him to win. Uh, I thought his, the tapes had done damage. I thought the the build the wall, the other statements he's made had seriously discredited him. And I and I would say I was stunned. Uh, you know, when I was reading, I was watching the election day coverage and I saw large Hispanic turnout in Miami. I thought, well, that's that's about it. That's, you know, it was if he lost Florida, that's game finishing. And, you know, he didn't. Uh, what was really impressive was that Pennsylvania has been a state for the last couple of elections where Republicans have been sort of licking their chops. This is a state that has a, a large rural uh, conservative religious base. And for years, post-George W. Bush even, they've been looking to try and gain a foothold. They're the same way the Democrats are looking to try, and try, and try to gain a foothold in Ohio. The Republicans have been moving more towards Pennsylvania. Uh, and I, I just thought it was interesting how it took someone like Trump to finally uh, get the breakthrough in that state. But probably the most shocking of all the states to go for Trump was Michigan and Wisconsin. I mean, uh, Michigan, I mean, it was, I mean, this is a state Obama won twice. I mean, well, he won it, yeah, he won it, Obama won this state twice. Uh, Republicans have lost there. They've done poorly. Wisconsin, again, uh really a shocking, shocking, shocking result. Moreover, there's been, there was a theory out there. A, there was a theory that was spread about by the liberal media, well, by, by the media that tends to be of the, you know, towards the left, that, you know, CNN, MSNBC, that there was this idea that there were not enough white people, white voters, you know, for Trump to win, that they would, they would do, they, America was simply too diverse for Trump to, to say what he said and win. Uh, and I think that was proven wrong. It was proven wrong by the fact that, oh, that's true. Uh, you know, Trump did not get a, a very large share of the minorities, but he got the majority uh, of the white vote. And the white vote and whites are still a majority in the United States. So that was an interesting trend that I looked on. Uh, moreover, another inter- interesting, shocking trend was the fact that Trump actually got more Hispanics than Mitt Romney did. He got, he got more African American votes than Mitt Romney did. This is uh, astounding. And you know, I know people might say it's only a percent or two higher, but in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and states where it was very close, that could have meant the difference. And. I mean, I think that the Democrats are in a state of absolute uh, chaos. You had every possible advantage. You had the questions leaked in the, in the one of the debates. Donna Brazil very kindly did that. You had 
you know, you firmly had, you probably had all the moral arguments on your side. And I think the biggest problem is how, why did this Hispanic, African-American and young vote not turn out? Why was the turnout low? Was it a case of nominating the wrong candidate? Or was it a case of merely there was something missing? There was something deeper that the Democratic Party has alienated people. You know, why, you know, wh what made all these working class whites shift away and move to the Republicans? Why, why is that? And the other question they've got to ask themselves is what happened in the Senate races? Uh, you know, I, I did say the Republicans would hold the Senate, and this, and I think my conclusion is when the Democratic candidates were weak, and the Republican candidates were just barely able to hold on. So, the point is, is that the Democrats really have got to be scratching their heads because now you had a prime opportunity to gain at least one House of Congress, and you you let it slip between your legs, and so the question now becomes. Uh, in two years' time, in 2018, what happens when a large number of Democrats are up for election? The Republicans could conceivably take the Senate again and the House. So the the question that Democratic lawmakers, well, anyone who's a Democrat and what's a strategist, have got to ask themselves is how do we take back these two houses? Uh, and, you know, is it simply trying to fight, trying to be against Trump, or is it simply trying to side with him? Uh, now, for the Republican Party, this is something, this is as if the Holy Grail has just been delivered. Um, this is a made, this is about as best as things could be. You've held the Senate, you held the House, big, you know, not big majority in the Senate, but you held the big majority in the House, and you now give Trump and the Republican platform the sort of the vehicle it needs to, to move. More importantly, the Supreme Court nomination. We spoke in, in, in depth about the Supreme Court and its importance. Trump will now have access, now have the ability to, um, to, to appoint a judge. That being said, there's been some rumbling in the news recently that Democratic senators are already scheming up plans to try and pull a filibuster. But Mitch McConnell, as a majority leader of the Senate, can change the rules on that and get rid of the filibuster. So he could simply get round the back door. And in terms of the House, I think Republican leadership is strong. Uh, the party, although it might not seem like it, is unified. Trump has, uh, from what I've been reading, has gone out and met with establishment figures. He's met with Mitt Romney. He's met with, he's met, and I believe he has, in a sense, settled, uh, he has sort of found a peace with the establishment. And that was critical because his whole anti-establishment thing, well, that's great, but at the end of the day, these are the people that are helping keep move the party along. Uh, I think another trend the Republican Party is going to look at, you know, there's, there's always been this talk of these sort of momentous election years, you know, 1800, 1980, well, sort of an asterisk over 1980, it sort of is, you know, 1932, 1933. These are sort of the big so-called election years, whatever they are. And I think 2016 is going to be one of them because this is the first time since about the 30s that lower uh, whites, you know, lower working class whites have moved from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party. In the data that came out after the, after the election, uh, Trump won more Democrats than Hillary won Republicans. That's quite a, that's quite a big statistic. 
uh, and I think it, it it again supports this idea of there being this momentous dem- demographic shift to the Republican Party and, and vice versa. And I'm going to just say one last couple of things about, uh, about the election itself, then we can move on to Trump and what's not. This election was incredibly divisive, probably the most divisive there's ever been in the U.S., I've, or, or it's up there. The, the anger, the rage that's, you know, that was sparked, and, the, and I do think that the media is to blame for this. The media did really make a concerted effort to try and take anything and everything Trump said out of context, and it just simply backfired. People were just, people got even angry, got even more upset. And the media, I think, is going to have to have a sit-down with the head of the RNC and the DNC, and they're going to have to sit down and work out why this election, why was this election campaign full of scandals? You know, someone has got to say, this is, enough is enough. I mean, people were sick of the media. People were sick of debate questions being leaked, of attacks on news anchors, on this sort of so-called fake news. People were sick of it. And it's not a healthy thing to have and only time will tell if, if the media sorts itself out. Yeah, I think, I mean, you covered really a lot of interesting things there. I want to go back to Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, flipping from pretty much certainly Democratic vote, uh, in the polls at least, to, you know, voting for Trump. And I think that reason was, is that it was a lot of, people that the Trump's job message really hit home with. It was a lot of Democrats who voted Republican, like uh, William you know, mentioned, Trump won more Democrats than Hillary won Republicans. And I think a lot of that number comes from those three northern, uh, you know, northeast kind of states. And it was really interesting to me because I was when I was watching the coverage, I think it was on CNN that they mentioned that Hillary Clinton ignored Michigan and Wisconsin throughout her entire campaign. She she sort of just assumed that she would win there, and she was a bit complacent about the fact that Michigan and Wisconsin were Democrat and there was no chance that you know either of them would vote Republican, and she was complacent in that way, and Trump's campaign made a big enough push towards the end that it got him, you know, the the victories in in both of those states. Uh, And so I think at the end of the day, it's a lesson to future political figures not to ignore uh, any, any states, even the ones that they take for granted. And I think there is a demographic shift I think there is going to be a change in the way that the electoral map looks uh, from from here on in. I think that Arizona, a once a absolutely Republican stronghold, is going to be pretty close from now on with the influx of Hispanic population there. It, the state is tilting more Democrat than ever before. Nevada. Uh, is a state that's voting Democrat consistently now uh, for Obama and in and, and this election went to Hillary. 
those northeastern industrial states, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, Ohio, Michigan, maybe those will will stay Republican even after Trump, uh, depending on what the platform of the party is from here on out. So those were all were all interesting things. The media and the poll system has to really take a look at itself and think what went so wrong. Polls were terrible this election. Um, almost everyone had uh, Clinton in a landslide. The New York Times gave Hillary a 99.8% chance to win this election. Uh, Nate Silver and the 538 team, which, proje- which correctly predicted all 50 states in the 2012 election, they gave Hillary a 77% chance at the end of this election. Uh, which was lower than almost every other poll, uh, and credit to them for for being a little closer to the mark than everyone else, but yet still staggeringly wrong uh, about what you know what happened, and I don't know whether that is polling polling error because it, this is this didn't even fall within just you know, margin of error, typical polling margin of error. This fell way outside of that and way outside of anything that the poll system had really ever seen before. The, the just pure, uh, the pure antithesis, the pure contrast between what the polls said was going to happen and what actually happened, I think really merits a, a clear discussion amongst the pollers about how they want to poll people in the future, the method of polling, and also about quality control uh, of their polling because they seriously got it wrong. I think we'll move on now to what we expect the platform of Trump and the fully Republican Congress uh, to be. The, the Republicans haven't had this much power within the U.S. government since before FDR. They haven't hold, held all three branches um, uh, of government. So this this could really be an unprecedented uh, period of power for the Republican Party. And that starts with some key uh, policy and judicial appointments that Trump makes. So his Supreme Court appointees will be interesting to look at. And also his policies on immigration, which he was so vocal about, about build a wall. His policies on health care, the Obamacare, which he's called so disastrous. His policies on trade, uh, he's called NAFTA the worst deal ever made. And also his policy towards Cuba, uh, which is something that isn't necessarily discussed much, but with the death of Fidel Castro a couple of days ago, um, it will be interesting to see whether he wants to cut off Cuba again, embargo them, uh, reverse Obama's policy decision, or whether he wants to continue, uh, you know, on the the way that we're already going. So, I don't know. William, do you have any things? I think that in terms of legislation... The big thing, the houses in a sense will be divided on what they're going to do. I predict the Senate will focus more on, will take the leadership. Mitch McConnell will take the leadership on the Supreme Court nomination 
Uh, Trump has, I believe, Trump has a list of potential nominees, and I think it's all, it's simply a task of Mitch McConnell getting everything organized for the vote. <clears throat> Moreover, I think that in terms of the House, I think that's why you, I think you'll see Paul Ryan, uh, uh, Paul Ryan, Kevin McCarthy, the other sort of big Republican, uh, law, you know, sort of lawmakers will take leadership on the Obamacare. And what what will that look like? Will that look like a repeal of the Affordable Care? You know, what what does this, because there are people who have this health insurance, and I'm not sure it'd be a good idea to simply say, oh, well, sorry, your health insurance is now worthless. So what, you know, what is this new Obamacare going to look like? And that, are they going to, you know, you bring up an interesting port, point, and because there are 20 million people in this country now that are on Obamacare. But something that stood out to me, and, and I'll let you get back to your point in a minute. Something that stood out to me after the election is that CNN, or no, 60 Minutes did an interview with Trump after the election. They sat down with him. And I don't remember who it was, but this reporter lady sat down and basically wouldn't let him speak. She just bashed him on some policies, interrupted him several times, and then the interview was over. And so she wouldn't let him talk about about the Affordable Health Care Act. You know, he said he wanted to repeal and replace it. And this lady interrupted him and said, well, but what about all the people that, you know, have this health care? You know, are they just going to not have health care? And, and Trump looked back to her and just kind of said, like, what are you talking about? Obviously, we're going to do it simultaneously. We're not going to just repeal it, leave 20 million people without health care, and then replace it a couple months after. No, it's going to be, you know, they're going to put a plan in place and then they're going to repeal it and, you know, put that that Trump plan in place at the same time. So it, people will still be insured. I'll let you get back to what you're saying. No, you, that's exactly right, Jake. You're 100% correct. What will this new... Uh, what, what will this new legislation look like? The real thing that really... Paul Ryan, I, I use Paul Ryan and Kevin McCarthy because those were the two that back in the days, the, the early days of the Obama administration, that, that year, those years from, you know, 08, 9, 10, 11, were really quite... Uh, were really... were really angered by the Obamacare. They were, they were simply infuriated by it. And it's almost fitting for them to be at the leadership of you know taking down this this bill that has really been their thorn in the side, though there was one clause. It was the if your business has I believe it's less than uh, fifty employees, you don't have to pay their health insurance, and if they have more than fifty employees, you've got to pay for their health insurance. And this is really in this was the big, you know, the big line of legislation that had really stirred up Republicans. Especially now, this is across the board. Um, as I, I probably have mentioned this, but in, when Obama was passing this very bill, uh, he had a meeting with Republican lawmakers and Capitol Hill. Quite famously, he went there and, and spoke to them in a very cold day in, two, in the winter. Of, I think it was February of 2000, and, or it was the winter of 2009. And the Republicans had, had offered some ideas. And all Obama had to do was take maybe two of them or one of them and, into this bill, but he didn't. He simply refused. And not a single vote, so not a single Republican vote went for Obamacare. And so now you're seeing a, a complete flip-flop. Sec that's Obamacare. Secondly, I think there's been, he's also talked about infrastructure. What will this look like? Will it be a, 
he's talked about a bit, there being a bank. You know, will this be some sort of an infrastructure bank that Congress will pay into? Uh, will it be simply, will it be, here's a list of contracts where the company is going to, what private company wants to sign up for them? Could, could it be that? Uh, could this infrastructure be run out of the Treasury? That was another proposal, that the Treasury Department w and HUD would team up and push through this, uh, this sort of new legislation. In terms of foreign policy, Trump is an isolationist, uh, and again, he's going to try and pull us out of TTIP, but try and reestablish bilateral tie, uh, TTP, but reestablish bilateral ties with Asian nations, which is probably a good, a good, a good idea. The only problem he's going to have is that there's going to be some insecurity, and it's going to be, it's going to look like uh, former U.S. allies are going to shift more towards China because China is now the big sort of the big gun in Asia. But that's not necessarily true, because China is and this is going way off topic. But China is going to run into a whole host of problems in the next couple of years. A, the economy is slowing. They have now this is, this is the great thing. The Chinese have uh, given out their growth, economic growth for the you know for the year. And it's been the same for the last three years. And I mean, it simply doesn't add up. So clearly there's something going on there, and we'll discuss it in another podcast. But my point being, uh, it, it's not, it will not look like that. Uh, most uh, U.S. allies in Asia that we have at the minute will stick with us. I know Duarte is sort of a, an oddball, but generally it, speaking, you know, he will. It's funny because Duterte, the Filipino president, he actually said, you know, I kind of like Trump. And so I think he's kind of shifting back towards the, the U.S. side because he was going uh, to China and Russia, you know, and the Philippines has historically been, after World War II at least, uh, a U.S. ally. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's good. And I also think in terms of U.S.-Russia, I think the ties will actually improve. I think that Trump is right. Why should we get involved into a Syrian civil war where the Russians have made it explicitly clear they are willing to sacrifice their own troops to keep this madman Assad in power. Why should, you know, th if there was to be a no-fly zone intervention, it should have happened two, two or three years ago when the Russians weren't involved. But, you know, Obama drew the red line, yada, 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 and time was wasted. Uh, again, that's foreign policy. Again, I guess adding on one last thing, adding on in terms of Europe, I think there's going to be a serious... Serious is where the which is a big question mark. He said he's not for NATO. Right, he's put he's put the you know if you don't pull your fair weight, why should we protect you? And he has some legitimate you know he's he's right on that. You know Europeans have got to come together and find their defense because frankly having America there is just you know supporting this lazy attitude of oh well if we get attacked America will help us. And like I said, really like I said in the last podcast, there's only like four countries that pay the the recommended NATO defense spending. It's it's the U.S., Poland, Greece, and Estonia. So, you know, it's not really a great group of countries there besides the U.S., so who knows? No, that's right. It is. It's exactly right. Going back to domestic policy, shifting back, uh, I think we're going to see a really tough stance on terrorism, a tough stance on immigration. I think, I, I don't want to sound crazy, but I think he might try his hardest to get this wall built. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I do think he will, he will seriously attempt this wall. 
in terms of his proposed ban on, on Muslims in the country, I don't think that he's going to be able to do that. Or at least he will be told by House members they will simply not not uh, they will not vote for this. I mean that's just you know it's not what this country stands for. Anyway, I think I'm just going to conclude the, the podcast here. This is that you know Trump has appointed various people already. Right? We know that you know Nikki Haley is the ambassador to the UN. We know Mike Pence is vice president. We know Jeff Sessions is the uh, new attorney general. We know that General. Um, Mattis is the head of the Defense Department. We know uh, Ben Carson is the head of HUD. We know Bannon is the head of HUD. So we, the, real, the, the couple big posts we're looking for at this point is the Treasury, well, I mean, is the Secretary of State and the Treasury. Yeah. So who is going to fill those roles? For the Secretary of State, it, people, you know, it was rumored there that General Petraeus, of all people, might get the job. It was rumored that Mitt Romney Bob Corker, uh, the list, I mean, uh, this is crazy, but Rudy Giuliani is still being thrown around as Secretary of State. And only t- I predict Trump will have his cabinet in order by Christmas. Yeah, I would think so. And, and that's a good way to end. A good way to end is we will see, hopefully soon, who the Secretary of State will be. And that is really the biggest uh, unappointed member of Trump's cabinet at this point, because that is is the American face to uh, all diplomatic relations and to the world, and in some senses, that's not the president. So uh, that's a good way to end. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk next week.